in charge by four men. And it's found its way through to Donovan. And he's looking for Strackle Ersi! Not bitter, just better. The all-new Everton podcast. Hello again, everyone, and welcome again to Not Bitter, Just Better Everton podcast. Mr. Johnny Seven here, as always, sat with Mark Matt. That's me. I'm here again. Yeah, uh, loads to talk about this week. So, Mark... So I take it we're just going to follow our uh, our normal routine then, uh, and we'll have a look back to start with uh, how the Blues got on last Saturday. Uh, Mark, there was no game, it was international break. Oh yeah, uh, alright, we'll skip that bit. Um, we'll go on to what we always do next then, so we go on to look at uh, transfer rumours and gossip. And, uh, Mark, 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 don't you remember last week, it was transfer deadline day. No transfer talk this week either. So what are we going to talk about then? <laughs> that was John making wind noises. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't, yeah. Um, in all seriousness, we uh, we've still got loads to talk about. <laughs> um, we can stop laughing. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the international break, uh, and there was quite a bit of uh, blue and blue involvement there. Um, I think the, the first bit of business we want to talk about is uh, USA and Costa Rica. Is that the first bit of business? Well, it's, it's, we're not going to talk about it much, so it's... We'll it's just, are we going to go around the world in 80 days or something? <laughs> no, we just talk about, so obviously, Tim Howard and uh, Brian Oviedo on the way to the World Cup next year, if they get on the side, that is. Well, Howard's first choice for America and has been for a while now, hasn't he? And, uh, and obviously, um, I don't think Oviedo's getting picked for Costa Rica at the minute. I know he, he wasn't the other day. So he's used to that, he's not getting picked for Everton either. Well, true, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, two Blues probably guaranteed to go to the World Cup, barring any injuries by the looks of things. Uh, another Blue who looks like he's definitely on his way, well, almost definitely on his way, Morales, scored against uh, Scotland, decent little goal on, uh, on yeah, Friday night. Cracking little finish. I, I watched that game. Um, obviously, have a little look at Morales. Well, I was hoping to see Lukaku as well, but uh, Benteke started up front for them, uh, obviously, because he's, he's on fire at the moment in the Premier League. Um, and uh, one of our ex-Blues, Fellaini, had a good game as well. Yeah. Um, also, another one that will possibly is, well won't be going to the World Cup uh, is our Seamus and... Ah, uh, James McCarthy, they, they won't be going? Well, I think there's some minute mathematical chance that uh, Ireland can still qualify, but uh, no, they, uh, they needed six points from those two games uh, over the last few days, and uh, Blue both of them got beat. Was it was a 2-1 of both of them? Uh, it was, it was, yeah. Possibly, yeah. 2-1 of both games. Um, again, I saw part of uh, the, the first game he played, and it was just the football was abysmal. Um, so I believe uh, I believe the Blues didn't really get a look in there. Did they? No, I mean both, both Seamus and McCarthy. There's not much you can say about the performances really because they were just getting bypassed. 
the thing with Ireland is they play so narrow um, and there's a lot of long balls going through everything's up towards Robbie Keane and oh, to use his height to, to use his height yeah <laughs> uh, and obviously they've got that other headless chicken Shane Long up front who just runs around uh, and does very little else um, so everything was, was fired up towards them well, I'll tell you what did surprise me to hear this week I, heard, I don't know where I heard this stat but uh, Robbie Keane is the 6th highest scoring European international striker of all time you thought that would you? No, I certainly would not have thought that. <laughs> it's got answer to do with but it just, it just. He's been around forever, hasn't he, Robbie Keane? He's, I think, I think he's only thirty-three or thirty-four now, isn't he? Isn't he Robbie Keane, ex of Inter Milan? You forget yeah. about that, don't you? Yeah, God, that was years ago. That was. Uh, and just breaking news today is uh, they've parted company with the manager Trapattoni. Uh, you know, you said before, Mark, you thought he would have stuck it out for the, the other couple of games, but I guess if they're all but. All but certain not to go to the World Cup. <clears throat> Just thought the best uh, cut the losses now. Try and get someone else new in. Yeah, I think um, I think James McCarthy has been out uh, in the press today. Did a press conference saying he, he'd like to thank Trapattoni for you know bringing him on and uh, thinks he's a good manager. Uh, I know there's a lot of Irish fans who have been a bit disappointed with sort of the negative style of play that they do. Uh, and looking at the bookmaker's favourite apparently for the job is Martin O'Neill, which I. He's Northern Irish and he's going to be Republic of Ireland manager. I don't know how that's going to get yeah, there. I, I don't how know that'll go down. I don't know about that at all. Um, obviously, closer to home for us uh, is uh, the, the Blues uh, performance, well, inclusion in, in England side on Friday night. And, uh, and England's squad in general. We missed someone here. Who have we missed? Have we missed uh, Super Stevie Naismith leading the line for Scotland last Oh, night? yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think a lot of people missed them, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, well, I did manage to get off the bottom of their uh, qualifying group anyway by leapfrogging Wales, yeah. which is, uh, so the Scots will be happy with that, I suppose. But uh, Naismith didn't score, surprisingly. Well, he's, he's, at least he's consistent. <laughs> there you go. He'll be bringing his, uh, his form that he took away to international break back with him to the Blues. And, uh, I no, I think, I think he said, um, the, the manager had come out and said that he, he, he did well for them. So, again, he's, he's, he started the season OK and he, he seems to have carried on his decent run of decent form <laughs> into the international uh, team as well. We've talked about Evan Easy targets and we like to pick on Stephen A. Smith, but, but we love you really, Stevie. Yeah, so Friday night... Uh, something that's unheard of these days well in, in our generation uh, three Everton players on a, in an England team at one time yeah obviously Jags Bainty and uh, Ross Barkley getting off the last half hour um, it was a uh, usual sort of England performance I thought four, did they finish 4-0? Four 4-0 four yeah short, uh, my memory sort of blacks out whenever I watch England Um it was a decent performance against one of these small minnow sides from Europe. Um, you know, goals were expected. Uh, but I thought that the highlight of it actually was Barkley's half hour when he came on. I thought he, uh, he looked alright, looked, looked slotted in sort of seamlessly, really. There's, uh, there's been varying opinions on that. Um, I, I've seen a few people, like, not slating his performance, but saying he, he possibly tried to do a little bit too much. Um, he seemed to be very advanced up the pitch. Like, yeah, yeah, he did, and I mean, you know, you get these criticisms saying he's tried to do too much, but when you're four nil up, you, you can afford to try that little, you know, long range strike or you know, 
little trike turn or something just because I mean all players will do that when they once they start coasting want to sort of score a wonder goal or do a bit of showboating so I think he did alright as well I, I thought he did well I, and I think we were discussing before saying it's probably the first time since what do you reckon the mid 80s since three Everton players have turned out for England not, not just in a team in the whole squad yeah I think it's I, I can't remember I, there's, well we've had there's been Osman Baines and Jagiel hasn't there recently were they all in the same time I'm pretty sure they were in the same squad, yeah. Yeah. Um, but going back to last time, three players played. I, I, I've been racking my brains, and I think it's probably back to sort of Trevor Stephen, Gary Stevens, and Peter Reid. Maybe I, I, yeah, I don't think I, it's. I can't think of any time since then. I mean, yeah. it's very rare we've had. It's like going through the nineties, and that there was very few England nationals who played for the Blues. Really, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I want to. Something that I, I, I've got to talk about uh, is Evan, Evan not being included in England teams. And as you said then, in, in the 90s, like, I, I think that's why a lot of Blues are a little bit disillusioned with England. But I think we're going to discuss that a little bit more later because you know players like Unsworth being overlooked when he was in really good form and uh, it took Lescott to be... Well, we, we may as well crack onto the subject now, really. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I was saying this on the page of the day, and I got a little bit of stick for some of the comments I made. Basically, you know, in my opinion, uh, you know, I think international football is a bit of a waste of time. I, I prefer, you know, I, I much prefer putting my club before country. Um, and to me, it's just, you know, England games and other internationals are just a chance for our players to get injured. Um, and I'd rather we didn't have them really but that kind of mentality um, do you think that's come about because our players have been overlooked for years and years and years so you just don't care about it and now that we finally get a little bit of recognition um, you know you, you don't want that anymore it's like well you didn't need us then so leave us now kind of thing I think it's partly that I think you know as with all things in football you do get a bit of a tribal mentality basically where you know you look out for your own little tribe, and that's all you wanna you wanna look to. And in some ways, I, I used to feel that for my country. I used to feel that for England. I remember back to the days of Euro '96, showing me age a bit here now. Um, and I, I remember really loving the England side of that in, in those days and really getting behind them. But I think just as I get older and as I get more and more into Everton, um, you know, my fondness for them has just just gone away. Um, and it could be that you know it could be that in the side of, in the past they've overlooked Everton players, um, but I think it's more just a case of as I said before I just don't want our players getting injured playing for England. I think there's a, a few reasons as well. And last night I you know we played forty seven to eight. I was in no rush to get home even though the match kicked off at like quarter to eight. So it, it's just a little bit of indifference there, and I think it's through years of just not caring. And like I like I said before, like uh, you know, all of our players being overlooked, bit of a click there with like you know your big clubs like uh, like Man U. Well, I've, I've you know I said this last night as well. While Steven Gerrard is captain of England, there's just no way I can feel anything for them because under no circumstances can any part of my being ever wanting to win a game. <laughs> and you know, the, the, this podcast is called Not Bitter, Just Better, and. That might sound outrageously bitter, but I just hate the man, and there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah, when the who was it when when Teddy when all that all that controversy came out, and even when Beckham quit as captain, and the talk was that like, Gerard was going to take over. 
I mean, just because he's captain of the shite does it doesn't make him an international. I mean, England captain, you know, some of the controversy he's had in the past, and you know, some of the terrible tackles he's put in, particularly on Gary Naismith <laughs> over the years, where he nearly lost him a couple of balls. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure the Reds are for the city will defend them to the hill, but at the end of the day, Jordan is captaincy for this qualifying um, period. If you have a look at the teams on paper in the group, that's a group you should be qualifying from easily. You know, it's not the strongest group in the world, and yet we're going into the last two games, neither resulting both really in struggling to qualify from this group. I think there's a stat out there that you know England haven't beat any of like you know what what they're saying is sort of the big three nations in this group. Big three means Ukraine, Poland. And uh, Montenegro, that's a shock. You know, shock of that. They've all got talented players, and we haven't beat them once yet in, yeah. in qualifying any of them. But I mean, they've all got talented players, those sides. But and, and you know, because of those talented players and those players playing all over the Premiership and all over the best team, like best teams in Europe. But this is England. It's meant to be the best league in the world, have the best players in the world, and there's like most of those players are playing for big teams. Well, you you say that you say that they've all got talented players, but. I, I, you know, I would say I am semi-knowledgeable on football. You know, I've got a keen interest in football. But I looked at that Ukraine team last night and I think that there was only two players I'd ever heard of. Yeah. In all honesty. You know, I'll hold my hand up to that. Yarmolenko on one wing uh, and the lad on the other wing whose name I can't say. Kopoplanko, is that him? Kopoplanko, yeah. <laughs> Kopoplanko on the other wing. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know... Apart from that, I was struggling to know any of the other players. So, it, yeah, that I think the main reason for me is England aren't they're just, they're just not attractive to watch, are they? They're just frustrating. Yeah, it's it, frustrating. It is frustrating. And as an Evertonian, we see enough frustrating football. <laughs> yeah. You know, we deal with enough. You know. Frustrating hard times. I don't need more given to me by England, really. I think possibly another thing is uh, well, two more things. The first one being we've seen our golden, so-called golden generation of football. What did we win? And we won nothing. And you know, all that came from it was a lot of frust- like as you said, frustration. Um, the way that the you know the, the likes of the Beckhams of the world they, they, they've become global superstars, um, but they didn't win anything with England and. We just failed miserably. <laughs> and also, the second part of that is... Just just one point I want to touch on. I mean, going back to the England game last night against Ukraine. Yeah. Um, I think that annoys me about England is as well. They, they, they very rarely take a risk, England. And Roy Hodgson doesn't really take a risk. Now, I know you can say it was a risk putting Barkley in the squad. But, you know, the last ten minutes of that game last night was crying out for someone to come on yeah. and take a grip of it. And... I mean, Ashley Young, really? How many times has he been tried and failed at really at England level? And then, you, you know, you've got the likes of Cleverly and... Why not just throw Barkley on for ten minutes just to see if you can change the game and get something? That's another point I've made. I've, I've made a note of this. Um, you know, you've got Baines coming on at half-time against Moldova. You've got Barkley coming on for half an hour against Moldova. Um, but... In a game where it matters, where we're not falling ill up, but you possibly need something to happen, he's not willing to risk those players. Is that disrespectful to those players? 
or disrespectful I don't to know if it's disrespectful because it's a squad game isn't it but it's just negative to me I yeah. think you know I, I honestly think they were looking for a 0-0 draw last night yeah definitely I mean you, you see you see the pictures of uh, Theo Walcott and he's like celebrating like we just won the World Cup he was awful yeah, well, he, he didn't really get much. It, 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 there wasn't much service to to. I don't think uh, Lambert had a very good game when the ball was going up there, mainly in the second half, and it, it wasn't really sticking. He didn't really have. Um, I think we've said before on the podcast, you know, I, I quite like Ricky Lambert and I like the whole backstory. But I mean, in your living memory, can you remember sort of a worst forward line for England and Lambert, Milner, and Walcott? No, no, no disrespect to those players, but no. Uh, in past seasons, in past years, I, I, I just, I, well, I don't know. Maybe I'd say there has been a shortage over the past few years when Rooney's been out. You, you know, you've been looking at Carroll. You know, before that, you're looking at Crouch. They're not exactly like world class players, back, are you they? Think back, and it's not a massively long time ago, but you think back to say the late nineties, um, where you'd have Shearer, Shedingham, Fernand. Yeah. Right, you know, you had all these, even, you know, gobshites over the park, Fowler or Owen, you know, but they were all established sort of like. Well, world class? In, well, world class possibly, but international, international class, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were banging it in week in, week out, getting 25 goals a season in the Premiership. Uh, and, and that's just not the case anymore. Yeah, so you get players like Ricky Lambert come through the leagues, and again, no disrespect to him, quality player, but should he be leading England's. Front line in a in a like a, a fixture of that magnitude last night. Should Danny Welbeck even you know you know you know he got that silly ball. Well, that, that that made me laugh a few times last night. I mean, there was people like Roy Keane saying you know playing up saying oh this England team will be fine. They've got Danny Welbeck to come back. He is good. He's a decent he's a decent player, but when you he's not the type of player you want to stake your international. Well, same with storage. Same with storage. You know, like like it was you know we were, we were missing. Like Beckham, Beckham from a World Cup squad in recent years, it's just storage. You know what I mean? He scored a couple of goals for for the shite. So, so what? But there you go. So that that's it really. Um, my point of view is that I'd rather we didn't have to do qualify. Do you know what my idea is? This is what I, our World Cup should work. I think. <laughs> right. Go on. Obviously, we have summers without any football when the Premier League's finished. And. Everyone enjoys a World Cup. So this is how I would do a World Cup from now on. 32 teams every four years. There are 16 untouchable nations. And obviously England will be thrown in as one of them. I can't really justify that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, you like your Brazil, your Argentina, your Germanys. Every day always get qualifying. And then all the other little teams can all go into a draw. You don't even have to qualify. They'll just have a little draw. They'll mix it round a bit. Give everyone a chance to get in. So even even you like Sam and you know can play in a World Cup one day, and it, it gives everyone a bit of a you know a chance of that dream of playing in a World Cup, and, and that's how you do the World Cup because you're always going to get the same teams getting to the you know the quarterfinals, the semis, your Brazils, your Hollands, your Argentinas, your France, your Italy's. So that's how I reckon we should do World Cups. Hold on, hold on. Um, my phone's just going off here. I just have to get it. Hold on. Set, set. Oh, oh, yeah, alright, I'll tell them. 
Seth Blatter said, not a chance in hell ever of <laughs> that happening. And it's a shit, shit, shit suggestion. So Yeah, but give, give Seth Blatter a little brown envelope under the table somewhere <laughs> and he'd be biting your hand up for it. I bet if the Qatari FA or whoever it is had offered them that deal, he would have probably snapped an hand up. No, I, I, I kind of understand, you know, like a little bit. I know it's, it's half tongue in cheek what you're saying, but then you've got teams like. Like, like Belgium, like a Belgium team, you know, four years ago even, they'd be nowhere near that 16, like untouchables, but now, you look at the team. Oh, Belgium, Bel- Belgium yeah, are a mile ahead of England at the moment. Definitely, so where does that top 16 untouchables, you know, where does... Where, where I don't care who's in the 16 untouchables, you, you throw England in to get it, you know, to keep the country interested. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, think it, I think it's a winner. Sorry, I'm just laughing at our new news jingle. When you record these things, you have to play in the little clip of music we just had, and then you can hear us too with your chump news at the end of it, and it just made me laugh as we're coming into this segment. Um, as you can probably guess, this is the news. <laughs> the se- news section, yeah. Uh, the news of what's happened in this very newsless week. Yeah, main news is uh, it's just like stories from the official site, really, of... Uh, you know, players talking about other players and ex-managers piping in with their opinions and stuff like that. So I think we just want to start off with uh, uh, Phil Jagielka come out this week and kind of echoed Martinez's sentiments about the uh, transfer deadline day. I think he thinks it should have been closed before the start of the season. Paul uh, said that last week on here. Uh, I think I, I think we could we we probably agree. Do you agree on that? Part of me does, it makes a lot of sense, but then the other part of me is, I do like a good transfer deadline day, you know, and I, I think Sky wouldn't be happy because they make a big thing of it now, so. But, uh, but yeah, it, do, it does need to be done, it is daft, I mean, you, you know. Do you know what always gets me is the fact that you can get kids buying shirts with players' names on and then they get sold, so. Like three games in. Yeah, exactly, yeah, so. I, yeah, I don't get it. I, I, I understand like how, you know, how big business it is, and. Maybe, you know, if you're not happy with the way your squad's shaping up three games in. But how can you judge that? So. It's true. I think the cut-off point should be possibly, you know, if the, if the season starts on, say, for instance, Saturday the, the 25th of August, then it should be, say, five days before that. Five days before. Five, yeah. You know, the Monday before the se- the Monday of the week where the season starts. I think possibly time. possibly even the Friday before transfer that uh, sorry, Charity Shield. That, that Friday before. So you've got a clean cut off point. Um I think the only problem with it is it's not a full European they all they all start at different points, don't well, they? That, that is the thing, yeah, all the season starts a different day and obviously it's the European deadline day. Um, but then the funny thing is they all finish at different times, so they like I mean that the German one this year finished at midday or something oh, that so so I, then there's probably ways around that I would have thought but, but yeah I mean what Jags is saying here makes a lot of sense and it's something I think I'd support I think the players are shitting themselves for the first three games of the season aren't they as well <laughs> if they're like obviously like you know the, the, the question of whether you're going to get injured or you know well I mean the thing was it didn't affect us too much this year with, I mean Fellaini's still Luckily. doing the business you know Baines was still doing the business even though he didn't go but we felt far away with Les got a couple of seasons ago, didn't we? I mean, if you, I remember that Arsenal game where we got absolutely destroyed because Les Scott was just like, I don't even know what he was doing, he was asleep or, you know, 
sabotaging or some purpose to get them it's unsettling though it is unsettling and I, I tried to figure out that game but it's one of the worst days I've ever, I've ever seen at Goodison was it 7-1 yeah, it was getting up there, wasn't it? It was six or seven, I don't know. Yeah. I, I sort of like committed suicide halfway through the second half, I think. Um, but yeah, it, was, it wasn't a good day. Um, another little story that's kind of popped up is uh, a few players have come out and said that uh, Ross Barkley is better than even he knows. You know, he's got the potential to be absolutely amazing. He, but he's, he's just so, he's so down to earth. Don't really understand that sentence. Ross Barkley is better than even he knows. Oh, so he doesn't he, he doesn't know how good he can actually be. Ah, well that makes more sense. Because yeah. how do we know how good Ross Barkley knows? Does yeah. that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because okay. for instance, Ross Barkley probably knows Zinedine Zidane, but does that mean he's better than even Zinedine Zidane? No. No. Right. Okay. No, I think it's I think it's lousy English. I think it's probably lousy journalism. But I get the sentence. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping he is, because from the looks of things, I think that Ross Barkley thinks he's good already. And if, he's, if he is better than he thinks he is, then that means he's, he's going to be a world beater, doesn't it? You've lost me. Yeah, <laughs> I, what I think, I, my honest thoughts on this subject is that everyone, including the media, should never mention Ross Barkley again for the next five years. Let the light get on with what he's doing. Uh, and let him prove how good a player he's going to be. Don't try and sell him to Man U, which is a, a habit the media have of trying to do do with young players. So well, he's a mad Evertonian now, Ross Barkley. He's uh, okay. so once a blue, always a blue, isn't he? Yeah, you just you thought so. Um, sticking on Ross, uh, Howard Kendall. We've got a couple of Howard Kendall mentions. Uh, the first one, uh, he said that he's not, he doesn't think he's ready for England, which is. Uh, from his fr- from his performance on Friday, you know he might be, but I can again understand where Howard Kendall's uh, coming from. Uh, you know we we're always scared of these young players coming through and getting burnt out. Um, and you know he's only played what, three games for Everton so far this season, and he had like you know a brief sniff last last season, season before under Moyes. So he's got a point. Yeah, no, I agree. I said on last week's podcast, I didn't think Barkley should be in the full squad at the moment. I think that's what the under twenty ones are there for. Uh, and at the end of the day, at the time when he got picked for the squad, he'd had one very good game for Evan and one decent game for Evan. Um, does that justify a full England call-up? Probably not. But as you say, when he came on, you know, he he, he looked, he didn't look out of place. But I'd rather at the minute, you know, he, he was he left to play for the under-21s and, and left alone and kept off the, the full spotlight. Because as we discussed before in the international roundup, um, some people were criticising him afterwards and... Yeah. The lad doesn't need that at the moment, does he? Doesn't need you know international supporters criticising him for you know on his debut. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think how he's uh, talking a bit of sense there. I think as a nation, we love to build people up though to knock them down, don't we? And uh, the more he's around that England side, and you know, he, people look to him as a great saviour. If he doesn't deliver, then they'll be the first to knock him, try and knock him down, and um, you know. Like, like yeah, crucify him in the press, and nobody wants to see that. So, yeah, maybe maybe he's a, maybe uh, Roy should go back to picking Osman ahead of him. Uh, so, what else has uh, HK been saying this week? Uh, it was earlier on in the week, or even t- towards the end of last week, said about uh, Fellaini. He doesn't see where where he can fit in at Man U. Like you know, for for a, such a big sign and. 
you know, where's he going to go? I think we had this conversation last week. Well, we, we did, yeah. And I, I, no, I think Manu are very, you know, a very light in central midfield. So um, I think he'll play wherever he wants to play. To be fair, but I can see him slotting in as a defensive midfielder alongside Carrick. Just maybe just a little bit more advanced than Carrick. No, I think he'll be the anchor man. I think he'll be yeah. I think he'll sit deep with Carrick with then uh, another player in front of them, probably Rooney and Antti Wadman. I think he's more likely to be box to box. Um, like based in the middle, but then you know it's not my style. That is it, as we know. It's either you know a top a man just off the striker, or is it you know it's more of a defensive style. So, but it's Manu. Manu's not my style, is it? It's Manu anyway. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, another little. Just just before we change subject uh, for Howard, oh, Howard yeah, go on. I uh, just wanted to mention uh, to all Evertonians out there, you, you may not know this because it sort of went under the radar a little bit, which surprised you. But uh, Howard released an autobiography two weeks ago. Um, I think it's called Marriage and Other Love Affairs. Yeah. Um, it's not about his personal. Well, it probably will have his personal life, but uh, the marriage relates to Evan. Uh, and the love affairs relate to his other stints out at manager Man City and Bill Bowen and his other clubs. Mm. Um, I've not read the book yet, so I don't know what it's like to recommend it. However, I have just bought it, and I am going to start reading it tonight. So uh, look out on a future podcast. I'll give you a little review uh, and tell you whether it's worth uh, seven ninety nine or your hard earned cash for your Kindle. Is that all it was? The Kindle version was. That's what I've got. Um, so next time, if I ever meet him, I'm going to have a hard time getting it signed unless I get him to write across the screen on my iPad. Uh, and then it's going to cost a lot more than seven ninety nine, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll have a little read of that and let you know. Great. Um, Stubbs released the book last week as well. Did you know that? I, I knew there was one coming out. Well, he was doing signings somewhere in Omskirk last Tuesday or something. So Right. Yeah, a few writers in the, uh, in the, in the Blues well, family you, you there. You can read that one then and I'll read kind of <laughs> Yeah, OK, fair enough. Uh, just moving on a little bit uh, All the news this week week uh, In preparation uh, for the Chelsea game Which we'll discuss uh, in a little while uh, Is Gareth Barry Is looking forward to and is ready For his Chelsea debut And likely in the way Everton works uh, He probably won't even feature him Because <laughs> we always see it we, like, you know, If you're on the cover of the programme Or you're the poster in, in the middle of the, pro- uh, the programme well, James McFadden was always ready for every game every week, and all he used to do was come out and, and warm up for 85 minutes and then sit back down on the bench. Um, so, yeah, I mean, who knows whether he'll, he'll play. We'll, uh, we're going to cover the Chelsea game in depth, aren't you, a little bit later in the podcast. So, uh, so but I mean, it's good to see Barry getting out there and, and pushing forward his case and, and obviously wanting to play. Good, yeah, good stuff. Uh, last little bit of news, so to speak. <laughs> news <laughs> is... Uh, Welcome back to Rhino, David Unsworth, uh, assistant under twenty one manager, back with the Blues. After I thought you went Rhino X ECW wrestler for a minute then, but <laughs> no, about one percent of our listeners will have any clue what I'm talking about there. But uh, yeah, I mean it's good to see uh, Unsworth back. Uh, he's always struck me as being you know a, a true Evertonian. Uh, I think he's been pictured in the crowds a couple of times, hasn't he? Watching games. Yeah, we saw we saw him at Goodison maybe a couple of times, not far from us uh, in Gladys. So I mean, yeah, good, good. Uh, you know, I just wanted to touch slightly on, on the setup uh, for sort of the new teams at, at Everton at the minute. And you know, you have a look there. You, you have a look at the under 18s team. We've got obviously Duncan Ferguson and Kevin Sheedy looking after the under 18s. Then you go to the under 21s. We've got Unsworth and Stubbs. 
Um, so there's obviously a good progression here of ex-Everton players who, who hopefully will go on to, to manage the club in the future. I mean, yeah. We touched on David Weir slightly yeah, in yeah. one of the previous podcasts, and now obviously he's gone to Sheffield United. Uh, so there are already a few ex-players you know, on the first stages to that, hopefully having a bit of a conveyor belt of, of possible future managers. Yeah, I think, um, I think Stubbs going on from that on the 21 position I think he, he's likely to make that progression into management pretty soon I'd say if a club comes in with an offer I can, I can see him I can see him going um, so whether, whether uh, someone like Dunk would come up and make that make that uh, step up to the under 21 side I don't know I mean and then, then you've got obviously Sheedy there as well um, yeah so the future looks bright for as far as like the, the coaching and, and the blue family there so, um, uh, and just on that note, uh, obviously talk about Alan Stubbs. Um, if you'd like to hear Alan Stubbs uh, talk about, um, you know, his coaching role at the club, uh, and also you know missing out on the manager's job recently over the summer, um, not better, just better. And uh, since eighteen seventy eight, Docco.uk uh, are presenting an evening with Alan Stubbs uh, on Thursday, the seventh of November, t- two thousand thirteen, uh, in Liverpool City Centre. Tickets for this event are just £15, or you can get a table of 10 uh, for £100, so that's a good bargain there, a saving of uh, £50 all in all, if you can bandy in with some of your mates. Uh, I'd say come along and you can hear Stubbsy chat about everything from his playing career, his cancer battle, uh, right up to modern day coaching the Blues. Uh, if you are interested in tickets for that event, you can contact ourselves through all our usual um, mediums, um, We'll play it a little clip a bit later without to find us on Facebook and etc. Uh, or you can contact uh, our main call at it's1878.co.uk. Uh, it's going to be a good evening. Uh, it'll probably sell out quite quick, I would have thought. Yeah, they're always great evenings, these. And not only do you, do you get to like be entertained by the players, uh, you also... There's nearly always an opportunity to like meet and greet and get stuff signed. So you know, maybe, maybe have a little word with Stubbsy yourself as well. So yeah, these are like some of the club run dinners where the players are sort of you know hidden away, kept on a top table. You know, you will get a chance to go up to to, to talk to the to Stubbsy or any other of the ex players at our, at our dinners, um, and you know autographs and, and everything else are, are possible on the evening. Uh, we normally have sort of prints that you can get signed, personalised, so it uh, should be a good night, so uh, I'll say if you're interested, contact ourselves. And a bit of a sing-song at the end of most nights as well, because everyone's bevy. Yeah, <laughs> we do, yeah. yeah everyone, everyone in suits singing Everton songs, it's a bit surreal, but it's a yeah, boss night out. We'll see if you can get Stubbsy to give us a tune. <laughs> I am Ian Snowden, and you're listening to the Not Bitter, Just Better podcast. Alright, thanks for that, Snods. Uh, with... As we just mentioned before, transfer deadline uh, passing last Monday. There's not been that much transfer talk this week, obviously. So we're going to do something a little bit different and talk about uh, our best and worst uh, transfers over the years. Yeah, we're not going to go too far back. We're just going to look sort of recent, sort of moisy era up until the modern day type. Uh, just, a, you know, three transfers that we thought, each that we thought have worked and three transfers that we thought... I haven't worked, to say the least. Um, and we'll start, should we start off with the good ones? Yeah, go on. Uh, well, the, the first one I wanted to mention um, wasn't a transfer as such. Uh, it was a loan deal, basically. Uh, I wanted to go back to 2010 
the sort of winter transfer window uh, when we signed Landon Donovan for the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, it brought a buzz to the club. It was a, a short-term deal, didn't cost us any money. Um, and I don't know if you remember at the time, but it just sort of lifted the squad. Um, and he, he came in, LD in the IAS, had 10 appearances, scored a couple of goals, uh, and basically I thought just sort of transformed our style of play for a little period there, and, uh, you know, we cemented himself within a very short period of time as being a massive fan favourite at Goodson. And, well, and, and he, he became an Evertonian himself, didn't he, over those, uh, what, those two months he spent here, and, you know, I think he's probably going to be associated with the club forever, and he's only spent well, a total of, what, four or five months with the Blues, and he's, he's a bit of a... I don't know, legends bandied around, but do you think? Well, he's obviously a bit of a cult hero, isn't cult he? Cult hero, that's more improvement. Uh, and then he obviously, he came back in 2012, uh, made seven appearances for the Blues that time. Uh, but I, I'll always remember him, I think, more for, for that, that first period. Yeah, definitely. And we'll just talk him coming back again once his uh, contract's up uh, on a permanent deal. Uh, what, January or December this year? Well, I don't know whether that's going to happen or not, because, you know, what the, the MLS at the moment, as we've mentioned with MC previously, you know, we're trying to sort of keep the best players in the brand at the moment. So, um, but fingers crossed that I'd be happy to have him back. I'd love to. I'd love to have him back as well. It, it, also, you know, you know how hard Everton and other Premier League clubs are, are try to crack the American market, and Everton are doing a decent enough job there with the pre-season tour and our previous association with like you know Tim Howard being the American captain, uh, you know pl- players like Joe Maxmore, Brian McBride who we've had before, uh, it really hit, raises our profile up there, and I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah, so that's my that's my first choice for one of my top three transfers in uh, in recent times. Okay, my first choice is going back ten years, uh, and is Nigel Martin. Nigel Martin, eh? Nigel Martin, yeah, he made a total of eighty six appearances for the Blues, and I think it's. Uh, probably, uh, like, a, like uh, many Blues probably agree with me on this. Uh, maybe up, up until Tim Howard a lot of the time, but he was uh, our most consistent and best performer in goal since Southall. I don't think we've had a settled number one since. Uh, you know, as good I, as Southall. I, I think Martin was a better keeper than Howard. I like Tim Howard. I think Howard's a good keeper, but I think Nigel Martin was, was a slightly better player than yeah. Howard. I would say. Yeah, and there was a little bit of talk, wasn't there, about uh, if we'd have just signed him the first time round and Peter Johnson didn't leave him round, sat on hampers, <laughs> and uh, uh, then we might have signed him many years before. Uh, Mr. Kirishma, Peter Johnson, decided to take him uh, to have a meeting in his park hampers factory in Birkenhead, didn't he, and left him sat there in Nigel Martin for two hours. Yeah. So we decided so forget this for the game of soldiers or sign for Leeds Sign for Leeds, yeah, which is a bit of a shocker at the time for us. And at the time, we did, I think we, did we have Myra or someone in goal, or Paul Gerrard? Was it just prior to Tommy Myra, was it? I don't know. Possibly. Um, I think I might have just, just been following uh, Neville Southall's um, retirement, uh, or, you know, when, sorry, when Neville left the club. Uh, I don't know, I mean, it was 15 years ago or something, that wasn't it? So, yeah, but a uh, great keeper, nice fella as well. Yeah, uh, it possibly could be. You know, we still talk highly of the Blues. You know, if he ever does any coaching or anything. What was the fee that we paid at the time for him? Can you remember? I don't think it was a big one. I, think, I remember him and Kilban came in for buttons uh, on deadline day. What deadline day? Two thousand and three. 
Um, yeah, I can't remember. I, don't, I, th- I think it was only a couple of hundred thousand. From, so, yeah. Definitely a good buy then, definitely a good buy. Um, the, the second one I wanted to mention it, it is a lot more recent, but again, you know, well, I'm not saying, you know, this is the best player we've ever signed, but as far as transfer deals go, um, for value for money, I wanted to mention Darren Gibson. Yeah. For, what was it, 300,000, 350,000? Well, I thought it was a little bit more, it was about a million, million and a half. No, no, it's down, it's right, right the way down, it was 300,000 mark, yeah. Um, came in from Man United, wasn't, you know, it's been sort of, was a bit part player at United, uh, you know, known for the odd long range effort, long long range goals, got a few games in Europe, in Europe for United, etc. Um, but obviously was nowhere near being a regular. Uh, got brought in by David Moyes and, um, you know, slotted, immediately slotted perfectly into our central midfield. Uh, and has looked, you know, a great player since. Very tidy, very unassuming. Um, but you know, he's one of my favourite players in the squad currently. Like so, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, for the value, as far as value for money goes, I mean, unbelievable. Just need him back at full fitness now, don't we? Well, that that's the that's the negative side to him, shall we say? Um, whether he ever will be a full fitness, we don't know. But. Uh, you know the the fact that he, he was getting played when he was seventy percent fit. You know it speaks volumes for the lad. Good one. Uh, my second one, probably an obvious one for Blues, uh, and he is the closest we've got in the past ten years to an Everton legend, and I'd say uh, Tim Cahill. Well, obviously he's, he's in the not just better Hall of Fame. Yeah. So what, what more can you say about him really about Timmy? But uh, again, value for money. Yeah, so he was what, one and a half million to two and a half million on varying, varying reports. Varying reports, I think it's accepted to be around two million, two point two million after add ons, isn't it? I think. Yeah, and I, I think we're still, su- we're still suffer- uh, suffering from leaving now. I, I said this last week about um, you know, Jelovic's form. I think what's missing from Jelovic's form at the moment, or to, to make Jelovic uh, that, that you know that same player we had, I think Tim Cale, I think that's the answer. And you know those goals popping up from midfield, uh, there was nobody. The only, the only similar kind of player for making those runs, unfortunately, is someone we're going to be facing on Saturday over the year. It's Frank Lampard. You know, he makes those similar kind of runs. Dif- obviously, a different type of player, but those players can find the knack of just being in the right place at the right time from midfield. I've got a funny feeling Frank Lampard might get mentioned in our Chelsea preview. Yeah, I think he will too. <laughs> um, so going on, my, my last of uh, you know the goodbyes over the years. Uh, there was a few names in the app for this one, really. You know, I'd like to Jags. Uh, there was a few names that popped to mind, but I've gone for uh, I've gone for Mickey Arteta uh, again. Very much like Kale, uh, you know, Moisey picked him up for a couple of million, um, and. It, he obviously went on to, to flourish in the central midfield for Everton. Um, you know, was our most creative player for a good while there in the centre of the park. Uh, you know, used to be decent to free kicks and corners. Uh, that sort of got beaten out of him over the years at Everton. Uh, and then obviously he got sold on to Arsenal for a, a fairly tidy profit. Um, so, good deal all around. The Blues, I would have thought. Um, and a great player for a while there at, at Everton. Yeah, good shout. Um, my last one, uh, another obvious one amongst Blues, but I'm going to throw another name out, which I'm not going to include. <laughs> but when you're talking about Gibson, made me think. 
uh, Coleman. Why don't we think of Coleman? It's like sixty-five thousand or whatever. That's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah, think Coleman is? You just think he came up through the youth, don't you? Because yeah. we bought him so young and without any fanfare, really. That uh, you just think he, he's come up through through the ranks. No, but my my uh, my other obvious one was um, Leighton Baines. It's, it's you know Baines. Baines. Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, you know he's not only gone on to be like uh, one of our best signings. He's gone on to be one of the, the best best players in Europe. You know, as far as assists go, his consistency. He's been player of the year for the past what three or four years for us. Um, from the most assists from left back, it's not just corners he's whipping in; it's open play as well, scoring the odd goal as well. Uh, why he's not England first choice left back is beyond me. Um, yeah, Baines is a no-brainer for me. So the fact that I didn't pick him on my three means I've probably got no brains. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. Awesome. What was it? Six million he joined for, but over you know six million to be your top player for like year upon year upon year. Uh, I think it's definitely good business. And we, as we said last week, it was just amazing that we, we kept hold of him. See, Best bit of business. Compare it with the transfers we do now, where we only ever seem to buy players from Wigan. And uh, <laughs> where do we get beans from again back then? Uh, Wigan, Wigan, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so now we we'll change tact a little bit here. Now we're going to look at sort of some of our less uh, prolific buys, shall we say, in recent memory. Um, and uh, my first one is a lad who, you know, when we signed him, I think probably the majority of us were quite excited. We were getting an international Dutch winger from Inter Milan in the form of. Andy van der Meijden. Now, Shandy Andy. Shandy Andy, yeah. Unfortunately, the better choice probably would have been Raphael van der Waart. Um, <laughs> but instead, we got his longer-haired cousin who uh, decided that he, he probably would never play football again and just came over here, went on the piss around town, got his Lamborghini stolen and ragged down the showcase car park and that was about as much as he ever did for us. He's still a cult hero around here, though, isn't he? Isn't it? People, people love him. For what reason, though? I've got no idea. I've got no idea at all. Um, remember his debut when he came on, and it was like Ginola's debut. He came on, and he uh, he just whipped a couple of crosses, in and we were like, "Oh, we got to play it here." Just because he whipped a couple of crosses, that didn't lead to anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were crying out because, as Blues, we love a good winger, don't we? And we, we, we do. But I think one. if you have sort of Longer shaggy hair as well that bounces about when you run. I think that always helps. It always makes you look just a bit more, a bit better, doesn't it? When you're like running down that wind. But no, I tell you what, a terrible sign and he was. And how long did it take us to get rid of him? Paying his wages. I thought he was still just, with us, to be honest. Just a dream. He might be, yeah. Just a drain on the club. Drain the uh, drain the barrels in the club bar and drain the funds out the club wages. But, uh, so, uh, yeah, Van der Meijden is my first pick for the terrible sign. Mine's going back. Actually, I thought, I thought it was further back than this. It was 2005. We signed uh, Caldrup. Oh, Pear. Pear Caldrup. Came Pear. over. He was meant to be a superstar for, um, for Denmark and Udinese. And then he came over to the Blues and I saw his first warm-up. And do you know when the defenders warm up and you know the coach throws the ball up in the air? He's meant to just head it back to them. Everyone missed. It's like it's like an head. head like, completely missed the header. No, he, he headed it, but it was just going off <laughs> everywhere. It's like a, like a fifty p head. And uh, 
I just thought, oh God, and it was, I, he, you know, we had a decent jump on him and everything, but he made, you know, I think he signed for five million and made two appearances and was gone within like, about, about a season for nothing. So did he end up going to Fiorentina? He went to Fiorentina, yeah. He's, he's gone on to do decent there. One hundred and seventeen games for Fiorentina since, and you know he's been uh, you know international since as well. So I just don't know what happened with that. It's just, it was so unlike Moyes as well, wasn't it? To go out and spend money like that and then just buy an absolute turkey. I mean, he must have had some bad advice from somebody. He must have been looking on their champ manager's uh, stats or something there and one of those you know, champ legends who didn't come good, do you think? I think he must have sent Van der Meijer on a scouting mission. And he, where was it? Denmark or wherever he was from. And, he, and he must have uh, gone at the Carlsberg factory before he went out having a look at uh, Caldrup. Um, right, so going on to... Uh, to my next one, and um, remember when we signed a Brazilian? Yeah. You know, Evan getting a Brazilian. Was he the first ever Brazilian player to play? No, a few years ago we had a, a player called Rodrigo, we and did, yeah. and he was nicknamed Rodrigo because in Brazil he was meant to be amazing and scored all these goals, and, he, and you know he was meant to have a sweet left foot, and uh, he didn't really ever. Well, Rodrigo isn't my pick. It's probably the second ever Brazilian to play for Everton, and that was the loan signing. That was Joe. <laughs> now, it, I think we have semi-varying opinions on Joe because you didn't think he was that bad. I absolutely hated him. He depressed me. He was the most un-Brazilian-like Brazilian ever. There was no. He wasn't even born in Brazil. I guarantee you that lad was born in Birkenhead. I'm telling you, he was the lad was born offside. Yeah, I he grew up offside. He went to school offside, and he just he never ever ventured onside. Joe was a terrible, woeful player. I think you've been. I think you're very, very harsh about Joe. He wasn't 21 million worth, which is what Man City Man City paid for him. 21 million. Yeah, um, we could get a whole team for that. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't pay 21 pence for him I thought he was alright He did alright for us He scored, scored a couple of goals Decent goals as well uh, He kind of He just was what he was He was a loan signing He didn't exactly set the world on fire He came back uh, He came back onto the Brazilian international scene this year Didn't he and scored a couple I still reckon Man City only paid 21 million for him Because they were playing championship manager And they'd signed Wagner Love on champ manager It was a champ legend and when they went and bought Joe, he thought they were actually getting back in the load, he just got them mixed up. That's my theory on this matter. Good theory, yeah. Uh, right, my, my second choice is... Um, I'm, I'm probably being harsh, and it, it, I'll just find out the year for you now. <laughs> uh, but Danny Williamson, when we signed him from, uh, signed him from West Ham, and I think it was a, another, another decent, you know, a decent size fee... For us, you know, like four million. million or something. Like it was yeah. four, four million, I think it was. Is that that much? Yeah, it was. It was How a Kendall signing was it? Possibly. I think it was, yeah. Uh, and he got injured basically straight away. And, and well, I, I think he'd be a bit harsh on the like, because it was a really bad injury that he picked up. Yeah, but it's four million now. You know, four million over the year. We're probably still paying for him now, aren't we? <laughs> probably, now we're having, yeah. Uh, and how, how many games did he play? He played 15 games. So what, what are the maths on there? I don't even want to try and work it out. It's probably about 400,000, 450,000 per game. 
I've just got this this picture in my head now of every so often, every few months, this check dropping onto the table at Sam Allardyce, and he's opening his post at West Ham, and he goes, 10 grand from Everton for <laughs> Dean Williamson. I've got no idea what this is about, but yeah, I put that in the mind. So, yeah. But again, I mean, that was, and unfortunately, that could have worked out so much better. But it could be so, yeah. yeah. It's, it's harsh, but, you know, we're not, we're not exactly the richest of clubs, and 4 million... Is uh, just one of those, isn't it? It's, it's, it just didn't add up to good business. I could have picked a, a load of midfielders like Klaus Thompson, which you know he was crucified when he was at Everton, um, but you know it was my choice. Right. Uh, my my final choice is a player we picked up on loan. So I mean, straight away you're thinking, well, it's a loan deal. You know, it hasn't cost you any money. You know, uh, what, how can you really moan even if you get somebody who doesn't play very often? And this player actually played the season he was with us. He played most of the games. However, I would go so far as to say he was the worst player I have seen in an Everton shirt since a Brett Angel. In fact, I think I hated him more than I hate Brett Angel. And it's Royston Drenthe. The most annoying, frustrating player I have ever had the misfortune to watch. Now, I, I, to this day, I still hear a few Evertonians say, Oh, he was great, that Trente. He was exciting, he was dangerous. No, he wasn't exciting or dangerous. He was greedy, he fell over too much. He was, you could tell he was just a little, arrogant, horrible, moaning bastard and that's why he ran over on Trente and don't you dare try and defend him I'm not going to I'm going to disagree that he was our worst signing ever ever, but you know it's your choice so I can't I can't argue I can't argue with that really I just want to like say you know he scored a couple of decent goals for us my problem with him was he just thought he was a million times better than he was coming from Real Madrid you know, with all the Galacticos uh, there, and he—that's um, a hard way to say that, isn't it? Galacticos. <laughs> yeah. All, really. the, all the Galacticos over there, and he, he came over here thinking, like you know, with that kind of mentality. So he wanted the ball all the time, and tried to keep the ball all the time. He just—he wouldn't pass it. You know, every time he got the ball, he was trying to just go straight for the goal, and. and you know, if, if he was good enough, then great, because we, you know, we probably our opinion would probably be different. But the fact that he wasn't is, is you know, and, and again, you know, I, I hear it as well. What a great, what a great player he was! Oh, oh my God, he was such a great player. He got picked up this summer on a free by Redden. That's how much of a great player. Yeah, he superstar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, my last choice is uh, Everton fans. Is infamous. Uh, in, infamous. Uh, infamous for Everton fans. Again, you know, another quite big side, big money signing, but I can't believe this. It was 13 years ago we picked him up, uh, Nyarko, Alex Nyarko, and, he, you know, he came in and everyone was saying he's going to be the next Patrick Vieira. Oh, my God. He, uh, he just, he just bottled it. He seems to have just bottled it, and he was like, he, uh, I remember he, like, he, he tried to back heel. Have we talked about that? I've got a little bit of deja vu. I'm sure we talked about this in the first podcast. I think we have. We have spoke about Inyarko before, yeah. Yeah, and he, he, he it might have been on our, our, our player of the day thing, and he tried to back heel from the, 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 the edge of the penalty area in a pre-season friendly when he just after he signed. I thought, oh, all right, that's it, this, he's going to be great. How wrong we were. And, you know, his, his Everton career basically finished when uh, a fan... 
confronted him on the pitch with his shirt in his hands and basically said, you know... That was Paul Cronin, wasn't it? <laughs> you look like him. Yeah, yeah, basically saying, you know, I can do a better job than you. And, you know, he, he spat his dummy, he said he wanted to retire from football altogether. And basically, good riddance. You know, I think he, went, he moved on to Monaco and did, did a decent enough job there. But, you know, again, another sign of what, four and a half million. We can't afford signings like that. It's, it's, a, it's a shame, you know, with the shite going out and spending 12 million on every Tom, Dick and Harry. I think what we've, what we've realised when these picks are dark, we're better off when we stick to sort of two million or less because we always get well, decent there's, there's no risk. There's, no, there's not much of a risk there, is there? Um, you know, I think Coney's going to come in for a lot more criticism because it was quite a big fee six million for us is like a big you know a big fee and I like the way you've tied that into now I like it yeah so there you go and just just to finish the link do you think we could see Kone in the Chelsea game on a Saturday uh, possibly possibly because obviously no Lukaku so um, I think he'll probably go with Jelovic and hopefully you know with the pressure of Lukaku coming in and replacing him like a uh, Right, well, we'll play you a little bit of music and we'll come back with our full, uh, our full re- uh, countdown to the Chelsea game. This is the Not Bitter, Just Better Everton podcast. If you haven't already, go and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash EFC, Not Bitter, Just Better. Or you can find us on Twitter at Just Better EFC. Okay, taking care of some business there, so I'll have to repeat the same thing every week with our links and stuff, while Mark's stuffing his face with a strawberry tart. <laughs> I do like a bit of strawberry tart, actually. Uh, well, now, we just want to uh, look ahead, back to, back to uh, the, the Everton business, we want to look ahead to the uh, Chelsea game at the weekend. You know, it seems an age ago that was how we played again, doesn't it? And back at Goodison on Saturday. It does, yeah, and, um, you know, it's a late kick-off as well, which I think, well, it'd be the Saturday night game, so, what, half five, four six? Yeah, half five kick-off, I think. Um, and I think that always helps at Goodison, especially when we have one of the big sides come over, um, you know, and get the atmosphere up. Uh, all the lads have been having a drink through the day and, uh, you know, building the courage up a little bit, so I always do like that atmosphere for the evening games at Goodison. Yeah, and the visitors, Chelsea... Bit of a bit of a glamorous fixture, you know. The, the few fixtures so far this season have been, you know, quite small clubs, small fixtures. You know, West Brom, Norwich, and um, yeah, it's our first real real uh, test, isn't it? Even when I say test, well, they've all been testing so far. If you can't, you know, get yourself up for a game like this, then you shouldn't be playing. So, and uh, as I say, visitors Chelsea. Second in the league at the moment, Chelsea seven points from a possible nine. Um, obviously, they've had. Two victories and the drew against United as well. And you know the, the you know recent form against them, as you heard on the top there. You know you got Dirty Dennis scoring the the second in a two 0 win. We did open with the Stockholmsy play today, didn't yeah. we? And uh, yeah, that's a, a big highlight for me of recent memories against uh, games Goodison against Chelsea. Uh, I always remember that crunching tackle from Neville that started it off. Yeah, amazing, yeah. Um, sent, sent it to Landon Donovan. Nice. I'll tell you what, this is running right the way through the podcast here. Yeah, yeah continuity. Um, that great little ball by Landon and then nice finish by the Strach. And then, you know, one of the one of the most prolific finishers we've ever had at the club, Dirty Dennis. Dirty Dennis. Pops up and scored his first goal for Evan and uh, Gladys, he went absolutely crazy. And season after that, last game of the season, uh, <laughs> one of the funniest, most surreal goals we'll ever see. Uh, one nil victory. We were down to ten. We were down to ten men. 
was that after the Strathclyde Shield before? Yeah, no. It was before, wasn't it? Was it? Year before, yeah. Oh, yeah, year before, yeah. Year before, sorry. Um, what, what, Coleman been sent off, and of all people, Jermaine Beckford picks it up in our own, own box towards the end of the game. And I, he, he was down the park end, wasn't he? Down picked, the park end. Picked the ball up, and I remember sitting in the gliders shouting, Kick, I think I probably said put it in kick it into touch because it was towards the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, nil nil, nil nil. We were down to ten men against Chelsea. Thinking, you know, kick it into touch, Jermaine. Kick Don't get any touch. ideas about your station, lad. Get it out. I didn't. No, he didn't. He just carried on. Went up, got towards the, head, uh, the halfway line, and I shouted, "Pass it!" Yeah, but, but to be fair to him, his only support. Was Jagielka to the left of him, <laughs> storming up on the left? I think I still shouted, pass it to the left. But do you mean he somehow, little bit of skill, stroke of luck, and managed to get through four defenders at once? And I think even then, when he was run, running through on goal, checks like coming out narrow on the angle, we're still like, no, pass it, pass it, And what does he do? Dinks it, <laughs> dinks it over one of the best goalkeepers in Europe, <laughs> stroke of the world. And uh, just an amazing, amazing goal. I think the goal of the season had already been decided the week before and was possibly... Might have, might have been Kales against Chelsea that same season, was it? Over it, it, it could have been. It could have, it could have been, yeah. But, you know, that was, that was our goal of that yeah. season. Jermaine Beckwith picks the ball at the edge of his own area, single-handedly runs the length of the pitch, taking on four Chelsea players and dinks the ball with the most subtlest of finishes over Peter Chip. You just couldn't make that off, could you? No. No, I mean, even now saying it, it feels like we are making it off. Yeah, have we made it off? Was Poss- it a dream? Possibly. Maybe, maybe somebody showed it on FIFA or something and, uh, uh, yeah. But, I mean, Everton Chelsea, when you think back, there's been a history of decent goals. Like you say, Kale's overhead kick was a kicker, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. But, I mean, you think some of the goals Chelsea have scored... Uh, you know, I can remember Essien scoring a screamer. I think that was in the League Cup game, a midweek game. Uh, Lampard scored. Oh, Lampard God. always scores screamer against them, which, you know. Lampard. How many how many goals is that? Like? We must be the team he scored against the most. I'd have thought so. I'd have thought so. Yeah, he's just got good form against us. Another another good goal out was uh, Luis Ahaz in the uh, cup final. Oh, uh, yeah, the quickest yeah. cup final of all, uh, cup goal of all time. Um, but of course, who, who scored in that one? Who scored the winner? So I think it was. I think Drogba yeah. scored. Drogba scored a screamer at, at Goodison, where you know we were. I think it was we were three, maybe three, three, two up or something, and he scored one really late on, and then he scored another one, yeah. and we got. Before. So that was the, it. Wasn't that the game where I think Lampard, Drogba, and SCN all scored good goals? Oh yeah, the they all did. Yeah, um, was did he beat us four three or did he just drag it, it back? It, I think it was something. It was three two up. Yeah, it was a league cup game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, they've had a couple of smashing grabs as well. Where I think we dominated last Semi-final season. Semi-final was, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, we we have had we've we've had a couple of quarters against them, a couple of semis against them lately, and obviously the final a few years ago. Yeah, um, yeah last season bit of a smashing grab at Goodison where they came in and who scored two? Uh, Pinar put us in front. Uh, Jelovic at the post with a free kick and then I'm sure we were sat there saying you know well they're going to get a point out of this because Lampard always scores yeah Lampard always scores so he he scores a header of all things against us uh, and then Jelovic at the bar Yeah, (laughs) I think we dominated most of the game as I say and then who pops up from Jelovic as well yeah the bar who pops up from Lampard again um, so obviously, uh, I mean, Chelsea seems to be playing fairly well at the moment. We're playing 
reasonably well, if not scoring enough. Uh, and it's a game with a history of great goals, so hopefully it should be an entertaining, entertaining game. Yeah, it's, as, I, as I was saying just before our little break then, it's, it's unfortunate that Lukaku can't play because obviously he's uh, ineligible because Chelsea is his parent club. I, just on that note, um, I don't know if, if, you, if you've heard about this, but there was an interview with Mourinho this week. Uh, and basically, he was getting asked about you know loaning players out, and he brought up the subject of Moses, uh, who's obviously gone over the park to the shite, and uh, and Lukaku to Everton. And what Mourinho said was, you know, he wanted he wanted these players to go to clubs like Everton and Liverpool over clubs like you know the likes of West Brom's because he believes that these players can now do damage to his title rivals. So, for instance, you know, if Lukaku gets a, a last-minute winner against United, for instance, and makes them lose three points against Everton, uh, that, that's what he's doing. So, he, he's, he's sort of making them sound like a bit of a like a Machiavellian genius, really. You know, well, it's like a, like being an undercover agent or something for the, you know going undercover and uh, infiltrating the top six, maybe. Yeah, um, but you know, it's a shame he's missing. You know, we'll have to wait a little bit longer to see his debut. But as I was just about to say before we uh, before we went to the break, um, hopefully he'll light a, a fire under Jelovic's ass and he'll. Well, I think it would sound Lukaku Jelovic has probably got like this in the back of the mind, his back of his mind. This is his last chance probably to sort of make an impression before Lukaku comes in and probably takes his, his place in the start line. What would have thought? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't see I can't see us playing a four four two or two or two up top at any point. It's, uh, I can't see. Uh, no, I, I think it's probably going to be the same team we've put out so far in all the league games, with the exception of maybe Gareth Barry will come in the field. Gareth, obviously, because Fellaini's gone. Yeah, so you're looking maybe Barry, Barry McCarthy in for you know two other. Yeah. I, I don't know whether both of them will come in. I mean, obviously Fellaini's gone, so there's one place up for grabs there. So whether you bring, bring in Barry or you bring in McCarthy, and then if you're going to bring in the other ones, that mean you drop Osman? Yeah. Or Pina. I think. I think. I think. No. I think. I think those will, they'll rotate. I, I. I can't see him keeping the same side every time. I think Osman. Osman will come in into into form, go out of form. Pina the same, and I think they'll just be picked on form. I think he'll start one, and one will be on the bench. I think it depends on Barry's match fitness at the moment. If Barry, Barry's match fit. I think he might start and McCarthy might be on the bench. Do you think Gibbo will make it this weekend? I don't know. I've not heard any, any news. We were meant to be back clubs, you know, the week you know the week before. We were meant to be back for the uh, for the Cardiff game. You know, there was talk about then, so it's two weeks since. So I'm hoping he can be because it really it really adds a different dimension, a different uh, dimension to our play. And I don't think there's anyone better who we've seen um, at the club who does that role where he drops deep for the ball and just plays the single passes or you know we can go along if he needs to but this is the type of selection problem you want isn't it I mean, yeah. so, uh, so it's all good but uh, yeah I mean I, I'm looking forward to the game um, uh, are we going to do predictions? I'm not going to predict the score I'm, you can't I'm going to predict the draw <laughs> <laughs> don't know what makes me think that um, but, but yeah I mean I'm going to go for a draw I can't I mean, you look at Chelsea this season. Um, I mean, what, what do you think about this matter situation? Are you surprised he's not getting the game? I'm definitely surprised because I picked him in the fancy football team and I made him my captain, and he hasn't had a sniff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really. I know Chelsea have got a lot of a lot of decent midfielders, and you know, a couple of the new signs like Sherlin and De Bruyne. You know, they come in. Um, 
into midfield, but I wouldn't have thought it would have been at the expense of Mata. No, it, it, I must admit it surprised me. I mean, if you ask me now to say, you know, what, what I think the Chelsea team is going to be against us on Saturday, I probably struggle because I mean, you know, the likes of at right back, for instance, I, I thought that Aspilicueta had done no pro, had done very well last season, and I picked him for my fantasy team at the start of this year. Uh, and he hasn't played the game for them yet, I don't think. And obviously Ivanovic has been a right-back. Uh, and Teddy's come back into the fold much more under Mourinho. Um, and then, I mean, have you got any idea who'll play up front for them against us? I think Eto. Eto's going to come in. Will, will Eto come straight in? I think he will. He's got it, hasn't he? So, uh, you know, it could be Eto, could be Torres. Yeah, well... It's just different problems there, isn't it? Well, yeah, I suppose, yeah. I think I'd rather see Torres start given the choice. I think, you know, Kale's probably going to play for him, isn't he? Or do you think? Or is Lewis Luis fit, back fit again now? Well, that, 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 that's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't honestly really predict what their side would be, so it's difficult to sort of get an idea of, of what they, how they're going to come, how they're going to set out and, and, and what we can do to nullify them. I suppose with, with uh, Mourinho coming back, it's, you know, Matten just might be one of those players he just doesn't, doesn't fancy. It. I, know, he, I saw today uh, Eden Hazard is fit, unfortunately, for the game, so he's going he's gonna to likely play. Lampard, because of, of his record against us, is probably going to get a game. There is a chance there because he has played two full internationals over the last few days. Um, and he didn't do anything last night. Like <laughs> but, but you know, he played. Did he play the full game or did he go off? I think he played, he played the full game. game. Yeah. Um, you know, possibly could be rested for this game. You know, he's not. You know, getting any younger, is he? So hopefully, for uh, us. fingers crossed for us. He'll get rested. Um, but uh, one thing's for sure. I mean, you know, I think. It's, it's well known that you know, Jose Mourinho is always sort of never underestimated Evan uh, and knows what knows what type of side we are um, so he's not going to in any way sort of come with a weakened side or, or sort of play down our chances of getting results but in saying that though he could put a side to try and uh, I was a side to try and nullify us so we could just end up with the same kind of thing we've seen the first three games of us having like what seventy percent possession or Chelsea having all the possession in their half and no real like. It'll be interesting to see if our passing game and our possession game still carries on as we play these bigger sides. To really, uh, that'll be interesting to note, um, because are we going to have seventy percent of the ball against Chelsea? I very much doubt it. No, no, I, I, I doubt it as well. Um, but I, I can see, with the respect that you just mentioned with Mourinho, and with the threat, you know, going to see, going to teams uh, like like Everton for sides like Chelsea, uh, Man U, Man City, if they can get a point at games like that, uh, you know, grounds like that against you know tough sides, and then win the home games, then you know it's, it's decent for them. But I don't know, maybe maybe that I'm giving us too much respect there. <laughs> well, I'm going to predict the draw. I'm going well, you to, said thirty-eight draws, didn't you? I'm going to I'm going to go one one, and I'm going to go I'm going to go with Jelovic header. Jelovic header, and we're going to be winning. And then I'm going to go Lampard to get an equaliser with about ten minutes to go. Does he Lampard? You know why did you know when he was being linked last season with uh, when Benitez didn't fancy him much? Why didn't we just come in and get him just to stop him scoring? Just to stop him scoring. He probably still would have scored on goals. <laughs> <laughs> 
But right. yeah, it's going to be a big one to get under. Will it be under the lights? Probably. They'll switch the lights on towards yeah, the end of the game. It's getting dark, isn't it? It's getting dark. The lights are drawing. Oh, God, we sound about 60 or something, <laughs> things like that. The lights are drawing in. Uh, but yeah, it'd be, uh, be good to get back on the, to Goodison. It'll be good for us. Uh, we, we'll get down to players. Uh, players okay. Yeah, we, we, we're guaranteed the players are open. They, they've, they've sorted out the, uh, the blackout that they had for the first game. Do our match day podcast in there, you know, uh, get soak up a little bit of atmosphere. Do our little, you know, predictions beforehand. Uh, I think Sheedy, Sheedy's in the in the house. Yeah, just there, there will be a second podcast this week. Uh, we're going to be doing a match day live on Saturday, um, and uh, as things stand at the moment, uh, it will feature Kevin Sheedy, uh, who's our guest at the, the Players Lounge on this Saturday. The best left foot in Everton history. Oh, Bainsey, do you think Bainsey's getting close? No. No, no. Bainsey, Bainsey as, as an overall where you know overall player work and everything. So it's so we saying it's Bainsey third, Sheedy second, Billy Lefton off first, and the minute then. No, no. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, well, that's our Chelsea preview. Johnny is going to sit on the fence for a change and not even make a prediction this week. Uh, I'm right. I, I tried predicting, and what happens? Hopefully next week he'll, he'll grow a set and uh, he'll get back in the prediction game. I'm going 1-1 um, and, and that's it for Chelsea uh, hopefully I'll be wrong and we'll manage to, to get three points uh, and get this our revival kicked off um, little bit of music as usual and then we'll be back for Hall of Fame Barrio Barrio Right, so uh, our latest inductee into the uh, Hall of Fame is actually uh, a trio. It's not, it's just not an inductee, it's inductees. Induct- inductees, yeah. But as a package, it's inductee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. okay, I love that, I love that. Um, yeah, so as you heard in our little song there, uh, Barry Orn was one of them. Um, but just going back to a, a trio, uh, there's two famous trios you associate with uh, Everton Football Club. The first, obviously, is like a really a famous one. Everyone knows uh, Kendall, Harvey and Ball. All, Holy Trinity. All, you know, they'll no doubt go into our Hall of Fame, every Hall of Fame uh, individually. Um, but the other Everton midfield trio, maybe not as skillful, not as world-renowned, uh, uh, not as amazing individually, but as a trio, um, the Dogs of War. So, Mark? That's today's entrance, the Dogs of War. Yeah, the Dogs of War. Uh, well, the Dogs of War, uh, as we know, uh, sort of mid 90s, I suppose you could classify it as. Everton um, Central Midfield trio, as John said. The Dogs of War were made up of John Keith Everill. Keith? Didn't know that. Didn't know it was Keith. The Krell, John Didn't Everill. Didn't have him down as a Keith. No, the Krell is his, his nickname, John Everill, because his signature looks like Krell. Ah, right, okay. Uh, was born the 1st of October 1969, uh, over on the dark side of Mayside, the Wirral. Mm. Um, and obviously played central midfield. Um, the second member of the Dogs of War, as we alluded to on, uh, on the music coming in, was uh, uh, Barry Horn. Barry Horn! Do you know what Barry Horn's full name is? Is it a Joseph in there? It's Barry Horn. <laughs> <laughs> nice and simple. Uh, Barry Horn was born the 18th of May, 19th. St. Asaph. 
in St. Asaph in Wales. And if you've ever been to St. Asaph, it's basically like a church and a few houses and a few shops and that's it. Is it by a town called Trevor? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. We, we were just going through to Langholm the other day and uh, past St. Asaph and Trevor. <laughs> well, well, thanks for that great bit of information there, Jude, the Chalmers. But getting back onto the... the Geographical the, as well. The no, Dogs yeah. of War. Uh, yeah, so, Body Orn, St. Asaph in Wales. And uh, the third and final member of the Dogs of War was a Joseph a Joey Parkinson, uh, born the 11th of June, 1971. Um, I, in Eccles in Manchester, Manchester yeah. um, so as we say the, the, those three players made up the Dogs of War um, they all came to the club at varying times obviously um, John Eppel came up through, through the ranks uh, do, do you want to have a look at them individually? yeah come we? on start off with, uh, we'll start off with, 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 with Evers uh, John Eppel came up through the youth at Everton uh, in signed schoolboy forms uh, aged 12 what's your memory of John Edwards I remember um, um, the only few they scored a handful of goals for Everton and it seemed like every one of them took about four deflections but 13 I, goals in total 207 appearances so he wasn't really prolific but you know he got into double figures and I, I bet yeah I, know, I can remember one where he kind of rounded a goalie and uh, put it in and people were making comparisons to, from him to uh, Brian Robson and he was going to be the next Brian Robson, Captain Marvel kind of thing. I think he actually did Captain Evan a few times, Avril. Um, I, I loved him as a player when, uh, you know, he was in my early years as a season ticket holder and, you know, he was neat and tidy on the ball but he was mainly known for his tackling, you know, hence the, the whole nickname of, the, of that midfield, the Dogs of War. Uh, just a bit of bite in the tackle and just 100% committed, uh, proper true blue. Um, yeah, and he would, you know, he, he would have bled for Everton, and he, he did many a time. Uh, and he played for Everton until uh, 1997, uh, when uh, Howard Kendall, of all people who was manager of Sheffield United at the time, came in and paid uh, 1.2 million for him. Uh, took him over to Sheffield United. Uh, unfortunately, uh, once he signed for Sheffield United, he, he got, a, I think it was an ankle injury that he yeah, got. Yeah, cut short. He got an injury and, and never really sort of recovered from that. I think he only ever played once yeah. for Sheffield United, if I can remember right. Um, so, uh, and then he, he's, he, had, he has actually come back to Everton and was, uh, was chief scout at the club for a while. Oh, right, I didn't know that. Uh, for a while under David Moyes. Um, so moving on, um, obviously Barry Orn. Barry Orn. Barry Orn uh, my personal memory of Barry Orn was when we stood next to him at a Pulse concert watching Pulse back yeah. in the Britpop days. Yeah, when well, we were Sheffield like, Arena. Well, 15 or something, and just randomly uh, bump into Barry Orn at a Pulse concert. Was it Sheffield Arena? Was it Manchester? No, I think it was the. Uh, I can't remember what it was called at the time. It, was the, it wasn't the NEC. It was the the. the was, no, anyway, I don't think anyone's interested in this, but yeah, we saw Barry on at a pub concert. And I, uh, I I was bold enough to shout, Barry, all right. And he was nice enough to say, all right, kid, you're all right. <laughs> and then uh, quickly walked off and stood somewhere else because <laughs> we were just staring on him. Uh, so, uh, Barry obviously played for a number of clubs, uh, sort of lower down the league before signing for Everton, so a bit of a different route than, than Apple. Uh, started his career at Wrexham. Uh, before moving to Portsmouth, moved then on to Southampton, uh, and then signed for Everton in 1992. Um, again, was, then became a bit of a mainstay in central midfield at Goodison. 
Um, and I, I think probably the thing that sticks out to Barham is uh, the goal against Wimbledon. Yeah, that's the mo- it'll go down in Everton history. Uh, because that, that one goal, it was just com- completely out of character from, from the way he played. He, uh, well, he took, took a bit of a bit of a touch on the knee, bounce, and he just left live with just thirty yard screamer. Just one of the best goals I've ever seen, and, and I think I think I was a geek and wrote a, wrote some kind of journal at the time, <laughs> and I wrote best you know the best feeling that day that goal going in best goal I've ever seen, and it was just uh, just. So let me get this straight: at the time, you were a bit of a geek who did like strange media related things around football. Yeah. Not much change then, really. No, not much really, no, no. Um, fun, funnily enough, uh, Barry Owen's uh, first game is his debut for Everton against Sheffield Wednesday in 1992. That was my first game, and he scored. That was a cracker off the bar. I think Paul Rydot made his debut that game as well, <laughs> randomly. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and obviously, after, after this spell with the Blues, he went on to play for the other Blues, uh, down at Birmingham, Birmingham City. Like, a lot of Blues seem to do that, don't they? A lot of other players seem to have made that, made that journey. Um, and then on to, again, sort of went around a few of the lower leagues. We uh, had to spell at Huddersfield, Sheffield Wednesday, Kidderminster Harriers, uh, Walsall, and finished his career with uh, the mighty Belpet Town. Nice. What league did Belpet Town play, Johnny? Not the Premier League. <laughs> Not the Premier League. Um, uh, and, and that was a fairly successful career in the media with Sky. Uh, you know, yeah. seems to pop up on Soccer Saturday every now and then. And he does a lot of media work around Everton as well. You know, a lot of Everton commentary and stuff. Uh, yeah, he's doing, doing well, isn't he? Uh, and then, finally... Uh, Joey Parkinson, uh, good mate of ours is Joey, is he? Uh, I believe you've got your, his phone number on your phone, haven't you, Joey? Yeah, won't dare, dare to ever use it. I think I've texted him once. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm just too embarrassed to text him <laughs> anymore. But, uh, yeah, we, we've, we've had a number of conversations. He's, he's been on the players a few times and uh, a lot of stories from Joey. And We, we spent, we spent a, a derby winning day in the presence of Joey. Then we well, ended up getting, well, I don't drink, but uh, everyone else did. Oh, yeah, I, 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 f- I fell asleep in a corner somewhere <laughs> so yeah next time I saw him I was a little bit like uh, hiding a little bit but yeah Joe Parkinson just modern legend he's just again uh, as the, the three of them are like a bit of a, like a cult hero amongst uh, Evertonians and you randomly told me a stat before of like uh, who's favourite player yeah well I'll get to that now just just going back on, on Joe Parkinson's uh, career before Evan uh, he, he came from Wigan uh, when he comes through the youth came from Wigan he did yeah well that's not unusual is it he never signed players from Wigan do you? Um, he signed in 1993 now I was having a little mooch on his Wikipedia before because we don't use Wikipedia for anything <coughs> uh, usually because we're a bit more a bit more intelligent than I want yeah. than to use Wikipedia go on test me on this if you right oh well okay I'll ask you this question which manager signed Joe Parkinson Mike Walker with Anders Limpar, was it? That was what I thought. Now, I'm sure Joe told us the story. That with Mike, you know, he gets asked a lot about Mike Walker and his thoughts on Mike Walker, and he always says, well, I quite like him because he signed me. Wikipedia, strangely, says that Joe Parkinson was signed by a managerless Everton in between 
the resignation of Howard Kendall and the arrival of Mike Walker. Well, that would have been Dave Williams. It was, it was involved a lot with like, you know, Wales over the years, but I think it was Mike Walker's assistant. So. I think I believe Joe Parkinson over Wikipedia. Yeah, I think Joe just get on Wikipedia and get on get some edits done there. Um, so and while he was with Evan, uh, sorry, I, I've just realised I've just made I've just completely told lies in this this run on. We didn't sign from Wigan at all, did we? We signed from Bournemouth. And he played for Wigan before he played for Oh, Bournemouth. right, yeah, that makes more sense. So I completely missed the chunk of his career up there. Don't worry, I won't edit it, I'll just make you look daft on it. Yeah, he, he, only made, he only played for Bournemouth for one season between his stint at Wigan and Everton, uh, making 30 appearances. We signed him in 1993, uh, and he made 90 appearances for the Blues, uh, scoring three goals. Uh, and it, it's only a couple of seasons where that, isn't it? And he, it was, it seemed like he was around for that, but again, he was a player whose, whose career got cut short through injury. Yeah, unfortunately. Probably due to his tackling style. <laughs> yeah, he was great. Those tackles were amazing. Um, and well, but we used to joke with Joe Parkinson Edders, which we used to joke about sensible soccer as well. <laughs> he's just, he's just, I don't know. He's just, he's just a mainstay. In a, in Many of our listeners will remember sensible soccer, but he used to be able to do like really long-winded diving headers and uh, we always used to call that a Joe Parkinson header for some reason no idea why um, but again you know I mean staying in that midfield and form part of you know Dogs of War which I suppose we need to mention Joe Royal really because it, it was Joe wasn't it who put the, the Dogs of War together and, and got that tag yeah um, also just going back to Joe Parkinson just to say he's like he's, again he's, he's back involved with the club he's got like an ambassador kind of role and you know he, he does a lot of things meet and greets with the, with the club at the moment um, and uh, back to what you were just saying about like Joe Royal yeah when he came in he, you know we were floundering at the bottom of the table and it was uh, you know he got his first he got his first win in the um, in the derby when Big Dunk scored, Paul Rydell scores, and the, but the Dogs of War were like the most um, that was the, the, the most I think people most remember at that time. He well, just I, I put a bit more bite into yeah. into the team. And I wanted to touch on the the, the ninety five FA Cup final. Yeah, I've got a feeling at some point this game might on its own go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, however, um, that was obviously that that was the pinnacle of the Dogs of War power. It, really, it was. It? it was. Yeah, but. Um, I think by that time we started to play a, li- a little bit differently, even in, in that in that short period. And unfortunately, you know, at that at that time, um, you only uh, you could only have two two sub two, two substitutes, a keeper and two. Yeah, and uh, John Ebrill didn't even make the bench on that one. Which no, was, I was going to mention that. I was going to say that obviously, you know, we, we say that was the height of the Dogs of War powers, but yeah. only two of them made the game, which was uh, Joe Parkinson and Barry Owen starting in the middle, which is heartbreaking for Ebrill, wasn't it? Because he, he was such a servant to Everton, and uh, he didn't get on. You know, he played a big part in that run as well, though. Yeah, but uh, so obviously, you know, we do. Whenever you think about winning that final, that that cup run. Um, you know, you do put Everall in there as well, don't you? As yeah, as the squad, as the squad, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, that's it, Dogs of War. Um, we got some criticism at the time for some of the our style of football. I don't think anybody liked playing against Evan at that period uh, with, with them three in midfield, big dunk up front. Yeah, uh, <laughs> black and blue when they left the pitch with the playing against them three. But do you know what? To beat those those players. They all had a decent touch, and they could all play a little pass, and you know, occasional long pass—not long balls, not just putting up field, long crossfield passing as well. And 
they were underrated as footballers. They weren't just. Well, they I weren't think just before, for instance, I think before Joe Parkinson got injured, he, he was on the verge of an England call. Yeah. His name was being bandied around as being possibly getting called up for for England. So, I mean, we've had this this conversation earlier in the podcast about Everton, Everton players getting called up for England. So. Uh, to even be thought of in that way, he must have been doing something right at the time. Yeah, so now we've, we've got an attacking midfielder, we've got a couple of strikers, we've got wingers, we've got a ground to play at. We've we're got going to need, we're gonna need some defenders at yeah, some point. Yeah, we're going to need some but we've got a whole midfield unit now as well. So it's, a, it's a bit cavalier football, at the minute. We are definitely going to have to start. We've got, we've got Brian LeBone, but apart from LeBone, um, he's just, it's a bit like Everton's formation at the minute. We're just going to, you know. One in defence and nine attacking players at the minute. T- tell you what, though, you know, the, the likes of the Dogs of War, I think over the past few years, we could have done with one player like that. Um, you know, we had three in one, t- one go at the time. So I'll give me Joe Parkinson now and I'll put him straight in. Yeah, you know, you, you may be in that role, in, in that dropping down role, dropping off role, maybe his passing, you know, his passing, you could do the simple thing, play it off, break up play. Yeah, but someone with that kind of fight. Plus he's a qualified forklift truck driver, so it'd be quality for getting the kits in and all, and uh, you know all the uh, the training stuff like. Um, so that's in into the this week's uh, not better, just better Hall of Fame goes uh, the Dogs of War, uh, and that's pretty much it for another podcast. Yeah, somehow uh, we've taken nothing to talk about to our biggest show so far, which is just uh, touching on an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm sorry if we are going too long with these shows, and if we are, then by all means, give us some feedback and just say, listen, I got bored with you after an hour, you talk too much, because um, we don't know how long we should go, and we could probably go on all day if someone didn't stop us. Yeah, yeah, as Mark just said, your feedback, you know, I'm sure, you know, we've relived a few memories here for you today, you know, with, with our transfer talk and talk about the dogs of war. Feel free to get in, you know, you know, you know, future suggestions for our Hall of Fame are welcome. You know, we, we might not use them, we might use them, but it's our Hall of Fame. If we can share those same, same memories as you, that'd be great. Uh, and don't forget, as we mentioned before, the Allen's the upcoming night with Alan Stubbs. Uh, it's going to be a great night that... Uh, Contact ourselves for tickets. If you look on the Facebook page, there's information uh, regarding the event uh, and also any other upcoming events. Um, you know, all the usual activities are still going on. Uh, match days of the players, away trips uh, to all the away games on the coaches. So uh, anything that you're interested in, drop us a line uh, and we'll, uh, we'll sort you out. Yeah, just going on to that, there's, there's a few stormers coming up, isn't there, in, in the, uh, the Everton nights. There's a... Uh... There's a Legends Night with like uh, with Howard Kendall and you know a few a few others, uh, and there's a, a random one, Paul Mason, which that's going to be that's going to be a bit of a belter of a night, that isn't it? It's Paul Mason's story got some stories to tell. Yeah, it's not so much Everton related, but obviously Paul Mason's got a few colourful stories to tell about uh, football and gambling and women, no doubt. Um, so Paul Mason's over uh, this in the, in the forthcoming months. Uh, if anyone's interested in going to see Paul Mason, if you contact ourselves on the page. As John alluded to, then um, we we are involved in a couple of big ninety year entry race course. Um, the next one is next month, um, and involve it's got a bit of a sixties theme. Uh, so with the likes of Derek Temple, um, Joe Royal, Howard Kendall are all going to be in attendance, as well as some very special guests, uh, Will Cut winners, Nobby Styles, and Corbin Banks. Yeah, big names. Um, They'll be looking back at Everton's success through the 60s and also paying tribute to Evan Great, who are no longer with us, uh, the likes of Labone, 
and Alan Ball uh, and Gordon West. Um, so that that would be an unmissable night. I mean, I don't think the likes of Banks uh, and Styles get up to the north these days much, uh, you know, that often. Uh, so an unmissable one really, and there will also be a couple of more modern players there for some of the younger people. Uh, so keep an eye on since1878.co.uk for details in regards to these events. Yeah, uh, so just time to wrap up there. As usual, if you're listening on SoundCloud and you've got an Apple device, you can subscribe on iTunes in the iTunes podcast store. Just say it's not better, just better. Um, other than that, just keep listening. Any feedback, welcome. And yeah, follow us on Facebook, gave you the link before. Follow us on Twitter. And we'll catch you at the weekend for the Chelsea game. Yeah, same for me, really. I'm looking forward to the Chelsea game. Um, Hopefully we'll have some good news to report next week. Remember, there's a Match Day Live podcast on Saturday. Uh, and apart from that, um, you may have heard earlier in the show, we have a little clip there from, uh, you know, we don't like to name drop, but our matey in Snowden. Uh, if you keep listening right to the very end of the podcast, you might hear a bit of an Ian Snowden outtake. Um, have a good weekend, please. I am Ian Snowden and you're listening to the Not Best. <laughs> you ready? We'll do it again. I am Ian Snowden right. after a few pints. Shut up, <laughs> I am Ian Snowden and you're listening to the Not Bitter, Just Better podcast.